Preston in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Well, thank you so much for joining me in this hour where we get a chance to talk about the things that matter most. The letter to the Hebrews. This is one of those uh, letters of the New Testament that is so rich in theological content that you really read it just portions at a time. Uh, We're going to have Shane Kaplan with us in this hour, and he's going to be picking it apart, giving us an overview of how the epistle of the Hebrews actually makes explicit seven core beliefs of Catholics. Again, this is one of those... uh, letters of the New Testament that stand pretty much on its own, uh, stylistically, uh, theologically, and it builds bridges to the the Old Covenant. It builds bridges to the Hebrew priesthood. It builds bridges uh, to the uh, need to maintain uh, fidelity. Uh, it has some very sobering passages about uh, not wavering and not uh, lapsing into unbelief. So that's going to—that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, yeah, fifteen twenty minutes from now, and we're going to lead off this hour with our friend Teresa Tamio, host of Catholic Connection, because she and Deacon Dominic are going to be uh, hosting. A Pilgrimage to Italy, Living La Dolce Vita. It is a, a walk in the footsteps of St. Padre Pio, St. Maria Goretti. And uh, it's gonna, they're going to be going everywhere from the Amalfi Coast to the Adriatic. So you've got both, uh, both coasts uh, in Italy that you're going to be seeing there. And Teresa is going to be sharing the details, how you can join and save with early registration. So that's coming up in this hour. But first thing we want to do is get to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Friday, March 1st, it's the Feast of St. David of Wales. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing love and care and assistance for seniors in need at visitingangels.com. The two largest pharmacy chains in the U.S. will begin selling abortion pills as soon as this month. Walgreens and CVS will start selling mifeprestone at certain pharmacies in states where it's legal to do so. According to separate statements, the FDA certified both chains to dispense the pill. The largest wildfire in Texas history is growing and isn't being controlled. NBC's Morgan Chesky is in the Texas panhandle with the latest. This Smokehouse Creek fire, uh, now exceeding more than a million acres, not only makes it the largest wildfire in Texas state history, uh, but it's also covering a larger area than the last 20 California wildfires. The Smokehouse Creek fire started Monday north of Amarillo and has scorched over a million acres. Yesterday, it spread into Oklahoma, where it has burned over 30,000 acres. 
Pope Francis met yesterday with the Superior General of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter, also known as the FSSP. During the meeting, the Pope confirmed that the restrictions on the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass do not apply to this order. The February 29th meeting came amid a broad crackdown on the celebration of the traditional Latin Mass in 2021. The U.S. will begin airdrops of humanitarian aid into Gaza. The humanitarian situation has become dire on the Gaza Strip as Israeli forces continue operations in the region. And Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been laid to rest in Moscow. A funeral for the vocal critic of Russian President Vladimir Putin was held today, two weeks after he died in prison. Thousands of mourners attended the service. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now, Teresa Tamio, author of many books, including Everything's Coming Up Rosie, Ten Things My Feisty Italian-American Mom Taught Me About Living a Godly Life. Teresa has more than 30 years of experience in TV, radio, and newspaper. Spent 19 of those years working in front of a camera as a reporter and anchor in the Detroit market. And in the year 2000, she left the secular media to start her own speaking and communications company, Teresa Tamio Communications, and she began her daily morning radio program, Catholic Connection, produced by Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor. And you're invited to join Teresa uh, on an upcoming pilgrimage. Teresa, good to have you here once hey, again. Thanks. Yeah, it's always great to talk to you about the wonderful trips that were co-sponsored at Ave Maria. So much fun. I'm so excited about this trip, though, Al. This is a biggie. This is a big deal. This one. Now, this you're going to be going is this in Italy. You're yes. going to walk in the footsteps of Padre Pio, mm-hmm. Maria Goretti, mm-hmm. many more. Mm-hmm. You're calling it the Dolce Fede? It's called La Dolce Fide. This is our third annual. It's something that Deacon Dom and I uh, came up with along with help from Corporate Travel, our wonderful partner here at Ave. And it's the sweetness of faith. That's what it means translated. So it's a sweet life of faith based on the joy the faithfulness, what we see, what we do, and just the beauty of Italy. And so far, it's it's been going really well. But I'm super excited about this one because for the last several years, we've been asked, when are you going back to the Amalfi Coast? When are you going back okay. to the famous Amalfi Coast? So we're going in late October. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so for people who are unfamiliar with this particular area of Italy, mm-hmm. d- tell us why it's significant. Well, it's significant for so many reasons. First and foremost, it's beauty, and also it's well-known with all the Hollywood superstars and celebrities over the years. So it's south of Naples. The gateway to the Amalfi Coast is the beautiful coastal town of Sorrento. So technically the coast begins south of Sorrento in a picturesque, idyllic town of Positano, and then it goes south. And you have many towns, Priano, you have Amalfi, you have Ravello up in the mountains, and other precious towns, Vietri Sumari, which is at the very end, which is a great place to get ceramics. And then across the bay, you have the Isle of Capri. So that whole area is very famous. And the reason we're going in October is because you won't have the crowds, because it's so popular. The problem is it's very rugged along the coast. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, but... It's very difficult to go you know, through these various towns in the crowded times because it's literally one way up and one way down. So <laughs> it's better to go in October when the weather is much more comfortable, there's no crowds, and you can move around. So we're super excited. So we're doing this coast to coast. We've got the Amalfi Coast and then the beautiful Adriatic Coast as well. Well, this is fantastic. So this, again, begins October 26th. 
Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we want people to register today. Right, because we have a discount, actually, $250 per person. Right now, if they want to rush to the Ave Maria Radio travel section at AveMariaRadio.net, that's the best way to find out all the information. Just click on my big head, and you'll see all the different summaries <laughs> of the trips we're doing. But this is such a beautiful trip because... You're going at a time of year when it's not crowded. I was just doing a consultation today with a client, uh, and they're going in the summer. Summer is, is nice, but it's packed, and I try to tell people to avoid that time. Some people can't help it because they have kids that are home sure. from school. But going in the fall or the very early spring, like right now, and then the fall is the best place to go. And if you've never been, the best way to do Italy or I think any other major site, is through an organized pilgrimage tour because everything is worked out for you. And then you can hang out earlier or later if you want, but you literally get off the plane and get off the bus on the bus, and we take it from there. Yeah, and I think, again, uh, this is so important to get let somebody like you and Deacon Dom kind of initiate people yeah. into the into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, and it's a pilgrimage, so you're right. going to also be guiding people in terms of devotion and uh, adoration. Yep. And you're going to be walking in the footsteps of uh, St. Padre Pio, St. Maria Goretti. So when, when you say uh, St. Padre Pio, no doubt you're talking about going to San Giovanni Rotondo. Yes. And what do you see there? Oh, it's incredible. So we after we leave the Amalfi Coast, so again we'll be, we'll be going to St. Andrew's Tomb, in beautiful St. Andrews in Amalfi, which is a stunning town in the south end of the Amalfi Coast. We're going to go to Sorrento. We're going to go to Ravallo, the mountaintop town. And then we had, oh, we're stopping at Maria Gretti's tomb once we get on the bus and, and head down from Rome uh, to the Amalfi Coast. And then once we get to the Puglia region, which is on the opposite side, about four hours away from the Amalfi Coast, we will start in Gargano in Mount St. Angelo. So we go to the cave of St. Michael, which is an approved apparition there. And we'll probably have mass in the cave go visit it, walk around this incredibly gorgeous mountaintop town, whitewashed town. And then we drive very close to Padre Pio's area. He was born in Petrolicina, but we're going to San Giovanni Rotunda, where he built his hospital and where he served most of his ministry time. And so we see the hospital. We go through actually his quarters and see a lot of uh, his his vestments uh, with the stigmata. You can see some of the gloves and whatnot. And then you can see his tomb And so then after that, we head further south. And this is what's key here, and this is what I try to tell people. Many people do visit St. Michael's Cave in Gargano and Puglia for San Giovanni Rotondo for Padre Pio, but then they turn around and head back to Rome. But Puglia, Puglia, that area is one of the most beautiful areas, and it's on the Adriatic, so you're getting two coasts in this trip. But we're also doing some very unique things. We are going to the ancient town of Matata, Hmm. where the Passion of the Christ was shot. That is one of the oldest civilizations. That's actually in the region of Basilicata that butts up against Puglia, but it's right there. We're going to body for St. Nicholas. His tomb is there. We're going to have mass at his tomb. And then we're going to have some fun in the, it's like a a hobbit village. It's Aburo Bello, and it's known for its (laughs) truly houses that are little white cone-shaped houses. It's adorable, and we're going to have a pasta class, and we're going to have wine tastings, and we're staying in the town of Pugliano Amari, which is on the coast of the Adriatic. I mean, this trip, the the beauty, you're going to get, you know, uh, whiplash from looking around so much because it's just absolutely stunning everywhere we go. <laughs> you're going to uh, what has been declared the European capital of culture. Yep. Uh, you're going to be going to this uh, fairy tale village of Albero Bello, mm-hmm. and uh, there you have, you see the Hobbit-like It's They're village. so adorable. Yeah. These little white cone houses, are just, it just looks fake. It looks like a fantasy land. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's a World yeah. Heritage Site, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, UNESCO World Heritage Site. Yeah. 
And these are so many places that people, they have a limited amount of time, and I get that, but you really need to break away and see these other things because it helps you slow down and it puts things in perspective. And one of the things folks say if they look at a schedule and it's not super, super jam-packed, they get all worried, right, oh, I'm not getting my money's worth. But if you do too much, you're actually wasting your money because you're physically exhausted. Now, we have a lot to see in this trip, and we're spreading it out over nine days. But if people look at the itinerary, they notice we give them downtime. We have wonderful dinners on the water in Sorrento and Amalfi and a great reception in Priano, which is my favorite coastal town in Italy. But then we're also giving people a lot of time on their own so they can just relax and they can stroll these beautiful towns, go back to the churches, because you need that. You need to ponder. You need to reflect and there's so much to see that if you don't stop, yeah. you're going to miss it. So this is a beautiful trip at a beautiful time of year. And the weather in southern Italy is very comfortable. It'll be highs in the mid-70s, lows in the in the low 60s. So you won't be cold. And it's absolutely a great time of year to go. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And what kind of churches do you come across there? All, all types, and depending on the settlements in the various parts, Italy, for example, in the south in Puglia was settled early on by the Greeks, so you have a big Greek influence in Puglia. Uh, over on the uh, the coast of Amalfi, you have, uh, gosh, churches that date back and also have a Greek connection and a connection to Constantinople for St. Andrew at the Basilica there in Amalfi. But these churches are very ornate and absolutely beautiful, and they're built in the most unique ways. Some of them are literally built into the sides of mountains because of the the structure and and the way the land is is there in those parts of the country. So they're very unique, uh, very ornate, but just really beautiful. And there's a lot of Marian devotion in that part of the country. So there's a lot of Marian shrines that you'll see, including, of course, in Positano. But it's just an, an amazing part of Italy. And even along the Amalfi Coast, most people spend their time in Positano, and don't even visit, for example, Ravello, which is way, way, way up on top of the mountain. It's actually where Jackie Kennedy uh, and Jack Kennedy spent their honeymoon. John Kennedy spent, spent their honeymoon. Hmm. It's it's really quite lovely. And so we're having a pranzo or lunch there at one of the most beautiful hotels overlooking the coastline. And so we kind of give them, even in these, these very popular places, okay, this is a little insider's tip that not many people yeah. know about. Yeah. Or in Priano, which is a town that people whisk through because it's in between... Positano and Amalfi, they drive by and they miss it. And yet Priano is one of the most precious places along the Amalfi Coast. It's my favorite town. I've gotten to know families who run hotels there. I have a favorite waiter there, Giuseppe, who works at a particular hotel. Who Every time I go, he knows me and he can dom. And that's what happens. Once you get addicted to Italy, you get to know people, and it, it makes all the difference. So it's kind of fun because when we're there, people know us, and it makes it yeah. look special. Yeah, that yeah. no, sounds great. Yeah. I mean, are you going to have time to go to the monastery at Monte Cassino? Yes, we are. We're going to be stopping there, I believe, on the way back from Puglia, which is really beautiful. That is amazing. Now, that, was, of course, was rebuilt yeah. because of, of the, the war. war. Yeah. But the tombs of both um, St. Scholastica and her brother, St. Benedict, are there, so it's a great place to venerate their tombs. And, yeah, it's it's crazy. I, every time I go, and I'm there quite often, as you know, I turn around and there's something new that I discover. And I'm just so, I just love it so much, and Deacon Dom and I just love being there, that we just share that joy and that love with people. And I think they really feel it. We're still getting emails and cards from folks who are with us for our uh, Umbrian uh, tour back in uh, November. So it's, yeah. it's a great trip. It's a great trip. Now, it sounds fantastic. And, again, people... Uh, now, there's time uh, before that, but you want to make sure that people register early. They could actually save 
Uh, $250 per person, which is which a nice chunk of change you can buy. Uh, hey, a nice leather bag or a pair of shoes with that, or a couple of meals or you know several bottles of good wine and, and prosecco. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but no, it's it's a nice chunk of change. So 250 per person. And the deadline uh, is March 6th, so we have a couple of days. But we want to really let people know that this is probably going to sell out, and we want to give them an opportunity because, again, people have – and even people on the last two trips that we did, and I did the Wine and Shrine trip with Kelly, and then we had our La Dolce Fide in November. So we had two trips last fall, and both trips people are saying, please let us know when you go to the Amalfi Coast. So here it is by popular demand. We're giving it to folks, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be a, a sellout. They all are, but some of them take a little bit longer to sell out. But this one with the Amalfi Coast, I think, is going to move fairly move quickly. quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how 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 long do you think people have before it does sell out? Well, for the to the discount, um, they have until next week, and then we'll probably do other discounts after that. But for this one, this is a pretty big one, $250 off a person is, yeah. is a, quite a chunk of change. So they have uh, until the middle of next week for the $250 discount. And then, uh, you know, following that, we'll be doing probably other discounts as well, you know, maybe $100 here and there. That's how we kind of space it out. But this is a nice amount of money to save on a trip like this. And so, again... Uh, that we're going to, we call it Italy coast to coast. We've never done both coasts in one trip. But yeah, that's it's, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very nicely spaced out, so people aren't going to be too stressed. So I hope people sign up. We can't wait to show them Tease Italy. It's our favorite place on the planet, and it's going to be a blast. So just go to AveMariaRadio.net to the travel section, and all the information is there. All right. Let's uh, stay in touch, huh? Okay, Let me thanks. know how it's going, and we'll we'll talk again. Okay, ciao. All right. Teresa Tamio, again, uh, this is uh, outstanding uh, pilgrimage. Uh, you know, going to both coasts in Italy, that's got to be spectacular. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. When... You know, every once in a while someone says, I, I want to understand the faith. Uh, what book do you recommend? And, of course, people recommend the Catechism. They recommend any one of a series of uh, books that have been written by people like Scott Hahn or uh, Ed Street or Steve Ray. And I, nobody in the, nobody I've ever talked to has recommended the Epistle to the Hebrews. <laughs> And when I saw this particular book by Shane Kepler called The Epistle to the Hebrews and the Seven Core Beliefs of Catholics, I was absolutely fascinated because The Epistle to the Hebrews is, without a doubt, one of the most theologically rich books of the New Testament. Uh, It shows how the Old Covenant uh, is fulfilled in Christ. It shows the continuity and discontinuity between the covenants. And uh, again, it's it's meant to encourage uh, believers uh, during times of persecution. But Shane Kepler has gone ahead and in a remarkable way looked at the book of Hebrews in light of seven core beliefs of the Catholic Church. Shane uh, is the author of this particular book, but he's been on with, uh, before with through him, with him, and in him, the prayer life of Jesus. And uh, he's been active in catechesis and evangelization in the Archdiocese of St. Louis for almost three decades. Uh, he speaks regularly on Catholic radio. And you can find his work at 
<clears throat> excuse me, explainingchristianity.com. Shane, good to have you here. Al, what a pleasure. Thank you. What a strange idea. I, I love this. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I never um, thought of I never thought of a, taking a particular New Testament book and then kind of laying out the core beliefs of the church in relationship to that book. Why Hebrews? How did you get the idea? Why did you get the idea? <laughs> well, uh, we got to go back about 16 years, okay. and I was very intense in my own personal study, reading about the Trinity, uh, our Lord's incarnation, what it means for God to become man, and also, how does our Lord's death and resurrection save us? So I, I was studying that, but at the same time, in my private prayer, I was reading the Epistle to the Hebrews, and... I mean, time after time, I kept seeing all these theological concepts that I'm studying. They're all right here in this one book of the Bible, as well as the communion of saints, the Eucharist, the authority of the Church's shepherds, uh, the Word of God, that it's not just written, but unwritten. And it struck me that this one book is a crash course in Catholicism, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, about a year after that, a, a prayer group that I was involved with, um, they wanted... Uh, this is a couple months out. They said, you know, this year for Lent, let's do a really intense Bible study. Does anybody have any ideas? And I said, hey, I would love to put one together on the Epistle to the Hebrews. And uh, so I did a five-part series, and really, I just thoroughly enjoyed doing it, uh, writing it and delivering it. Mm-hmm. And then um, about a year and a half ago, I was praying, and just the Lord kept bringing the Epistle to the Hebrews back to me. And... Um, I thought maybe that talk that I'd done 15 years before might make a nice book. And the kind folks at Angelico Press, they agreed. Yeah, well, it's wonderful. And so let's, let's uh, tell us a little bit about the, the um, letter to the Hebrews, first of all. Um, what do we know about it? Well, um, the author is anonymous. We know that for a big chunk of church history, it was attributed to the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. As far as who the recipients of this letter are, um, it's not addressed to a particular community, but we can see that these are Jewish Christians. Um, We can say that because the author is talking to them a great deal about the temple worship of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, it makes sense to say that this would have been written in the middle of the first century while the temple was still standing. The author talks about the sacrifices as as a present experience. Um, So, these are Jewish Christians, though, who, because of their faith in Jesus, they find themselves ostracized, not just from their synagogue, from the temple worship, but also from their own families who have yet to come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. And in the face of that, where this whole world that you've grown up in and that's formed you suddenly wants nothing to do with you, you're on the outside, it's very tempting to... Um, to renounce your faith in Christ and to go back to the life and the world that you've always known. And so our authors at great pains to show them that, no, I know things look bleak at the moment, but you have been invited into this eternal kingdom. This is what all the prophets, what Moses spoke to you about. The worship of the temple is good, but you've been brought into the ultimate act of worship, Christ's worship of the Father through his life, death, and resurrection. So you can't turn back. Hmm. And, and that's the message of Hebrews in a nutshell. 
Well, let's let's go to the, the let's start at the beginning. Uh, you point out that uh, right from verse two, you've got uh, a, a beginning, uh, an exposition of the Trinity. It starts, as you say, in the beginning. In times past, God spoke in partial and various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, He spoke to us through His Son, whom He made heir of all things and through whom He created the universe who is the refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things by, the, by his mighty word. That's, again, very rich, very, very theistic. Yes, very much taking us to John chapter 1, verses mm-hmm. 1 through 3, that in the beginning was the Word, right. and the Word was God. And also Colossians 1, 15 through 16, about how Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in whom all things were created. So, I mean, th- this theology of Hebrews, it it ties in perfectly with John, with Paul. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the author of Hebrews, he starts with his strongest argument why you can't forsake your faith in Christ, because he's God incarnate. And really for us in the Church today, when it does seem like the culture is against us, uh, and we do in some ways find ourselves on the outside from where we were uh, a generation or two ago, it reminds us that, well... We confess this faith because it comes from God himself. I mean, we have no choice in this matter. It's revealed truth. Um, And so, in these first chapters of Hebrews, our author really does. He points out how Jesus is not just a prophet. He's, he's the one that Moses was, was but a servant of. Moses is a servant in God's house, but Jesus is the son who's over that house. Um, the author brings out how, you know, look at how God addresses the angels in the Old Testament, but to which of his angels did he ever say, you are my son, today right. I've begotten you, or your throne, O God, will stand forever. Yeah. Um, the author's drawing out these hints that we find in the Old Testament about the divinity of the Messiah, and he's really putting those front and center at the start of the letter. And he also... Doesn't and he doesn't deny, even though while he uh, Christ is the refulgence of the Father's glory, he is also incarnate. He is takes on human nature. Where is that in those early chapters? Oh, I direct people to Hebrews chapters two through five. Mm-hmm. Um, Hebrews one and three, I used to look at the Trinity, mm-hmm. and then um, there's overlap there. Hebrews two through five really speaks to us of Jesus humanity. In fact, I would say that there are some of the grittiest verses in all of Scripture there about our Lord's humanity. Um, Like in Hebrews 5, it says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard for his godly fear. Although he was son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, being designated by God high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It, oh my gosh, that is so rich. There's so much to unpack <laughs> it is. there. Yeah. Um, that, that idea, though, of Jesus' prayers and supplications, loud cries and tears, 
mean, to me, he's speaking of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, that's he, a historic he, reference. I mean, it's a, it's amazing. He's describing a person in prayer. And, and yet, this seems even more intense than what we read of in the Gospels, that loud cries and tears. Mm-hmm. And the way that Jesus, his human prayer is heard, it is answered, but it's on the other side of the cross that it's answered. He is saved from death. But first he has to pass through that agony and that crucifixion and, and even his descent among the dead in Sheol before he's raised and glorified. Do you want to take up the phrase, uh, learning obedience through suffering? Yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know, that phrase, and in the next part where it says that, um, and he was made perfect. Mm-hmm that he learned obedience through suffering and was made perfect. Our Lord, as a human being, he's, he has a journey. I mean, his human soul and his human body have a beginning in time and space. Mm-hmm. And so, just like us, he is on this journey to that point where he makes a complete, irrevocable gift of himself to the Father in obedience on the cross. And our Lord is experiencing what it is throughout his life to say yes, and what kind of a cost that has for human beings in saying yes. He, he knows what it feels like to be hungry, to be abandoned. Um, he, he knows physical suffering, and he knows psychological suffering as well, what it is to, to see the sin of the entire human race, and, and to take on the responsibility of making atonement for that. Um, And then when it says that he is made perfect, well, the word there in Greek, teleo, throughout the Greek translation of the Old Testament that the author of Hebrews is using, and his readers are making use of in the synagogues throughout the, the diaspora, that word was used in the Old Testament to refer to priestly anointing. And so here... Our author brings it up that through Jesus' suffering, his learning of obedience, he's made perfect. And he goes on to say in the very next line, being designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. So in our our Lord's suffering, he is ordained to the priesthood, which is above the Levitical priesthood, which even the Gentiles are invited into to have a part. Wow. Fantastic. Hold it there, Shane. We're going to take a break. We'll come back on the other side. My guest, Shane Kapler, the Epistle to the Hebrews and the Seven Core Beliefs of Catholics. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Shane Kapler, author most recently of The Epistle to the Hebrews and the Seven Core Beliefs of Catholics. We've been taking a look at uh, how this epistle unfolds and how doctrines regarding the Trinity can be seen in the first three chapters. Uh, uh, Teaching on the Incarnation can be seen, chapters 2 to 5. We were talking about the priesthood, and Christ's priesthood, and uh, let's jump up to chapters 7 through 11 on that point. And uh, this is something where, as you pointed out, he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek, 
what flows from that? How is that a fulfillment of the Levitical priesthood? Wow. Um, well, now there, there's several different ways that we can come at this. Um, where I would start with the Levitical priesthood, they have been offering these sacrifices um, every day in the temple. There's the daily offering, perpetual offering, where at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m., there's a lamb, bread, and wine offered on the temple's altar. Now, we think about Jesus is condemned to the cross at 9 a.m., and he culminates the sacrifice at 3 p.m., the time that this offering has been made, a lamb, bread, and wine, from time immemorial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that that's one way that Jesus fulfills the mm-hmm. Levitical priesthood, but also this, uh, this priesthood of Melchizedek goes back to Genesis. And Melchizedek is a priest who offered a thanksgiving sacrifice called a, a todah, on Abraham's behalf, after he won a victory against four kings he was battling. And Melchizedek, this Gentile priest, brings out bread and wine and offers thanks and blesses God on Abraham's behalf. Well, that Todah offering continues in Judaism. And Scott Hahn does a great job in the Lamb's Supper of, of talking about this and how the Jewish rabbis at the time of Christ taught that when the Messiah came, all offerings would cease, except for the Todah offering, that that would continue even into eternity. Hmm. Todah, Hebrew for thanksgiving, our Greek word, Eucharist, the Greek word for thanksgiving. Jesus' Eucharist is where he gives thanks and praises the Father for the salvation, for raising him from the dead, giving him victory over death, and we join him in that offering that thanksgiving because it's the way that we're saved through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Jesus then, he he takes on this priesthood of Melchizedek that doesn't come by being descended from Levi, one Mm -hmm. of the twelve patriarchs of Israel that all the priests came from. This is a priesthood that is given by God the Father. It's bestowed. And so it's bestowed upon Jesus and all those who are baptized into him share this Melchizedekian priesthood in our daily lives. In chapter 13, the author of Hebrews talks about the good works that we do being offerings. They really are. St. Paul talked about in Romans 12 the way that our spiritual sacrifice is to offer our bodily lives to the Father. And so we join Jesus in that, every single one of us who's baptized. At the same time, there's also that servant priesthood, that ordained priesthood that we know our priests and bishops and and in a special way the Holy Father share in. Um, Isaiah, when he talked about the, the new covenant, that God was making, the, the time of renewal, he prophesied that even Gentiles would offer sacrifice in the temple. Even they would serve as Levites. Now, that had to sound just incomprehensible to to the Jewish nation who heard this. How can Gentiles serve as Levites? I mean, that, that's a hereditary priesthood. Right, right. But it, it was it was the words that Isaiah could use at the time to indicate that the Gentiles would be granted a share in the priestly ministry. He just didn't explain how. But the fullness of that revelation comes in Jesus. Um, Al, if I could share with your listeners, too, 
in Hebrews chapter 10, mm-hmm. I think this is the clearest statement of the plan of salvation in the whole New Testament. Sure, go ahead. Um, well, it's Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25, and, you know, we talk about, is it, we as Catholics, we say it's a, it's a synergistic relationship between our faith and our works that are accomplished in grace. Mm-hmm. We know baptism plays a part, the sacraments. But this one passage is the only place I know that brings it all together. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the heavenly sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, so the first step in our salvation is Jesus' life offered to the Father in the power of the Spirit, merit salvation for the whole human race. And the author goes on. So, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we're united to Christ, and we first receive salvation through the gifts of faith and Mm -hmm. baptism. Mm -hmm. He goes on, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So Christ's life grows in us through grace-filled works, active membership in his body, mm-hmm. and participation in the Church's Eucharist and sacramental life. And then the author finishes, he says, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah. So we live this life until we are united with Jesus in heaven, and then share his bodily resurrection on the last day. So it's gift, and it's grace, and it takes root in us and grows through our participation in the Church's life, our living the life of Christ before the world, until we receive that final salvation in the resurrection. And this one passage in Hebrews sums it all up. As I said, like I don't know any other passage in the New Testament that does that. It's so, so thoroughly and richly uh, laying yes. out the plan of salvation, because you have, again, you have within it the contrast with the rights of the old law, which pointed towards Christ, and the rights of the new, which actually communicate his life to us. You've got the waters of baptism, uh, Holy Spirit. It, this, uh, it is a remarkable passage. Um, we, it, it's parallel, too. I mean, you, you like that more than you like Romans chapter 6, 3 to 5, where, we talk about, where Paul talks about being buried with him in baptism into his death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might walk in newness of life. This one in Hebrews is richer. I, I feel like when we're talking with our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, and what is it, um, you know, does baptism have a part in our salvation, and are works necessary for final salvation, that this seems to hit all of those points yeah. Yeah. In, in one place. No, I, I, it is. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, these kind of um, insights enable us to have this material at our fingertips. That's what I love about this. Uh, we got the single passage, which, again, lays out the plan of salvation. Communion of the Saints in chapters 11 to 12. L- let's jump there for a moment, because if we're talking about, again, sharing um, sharing our faith with non-Catholic uh, brothers and sisters, this is one of those areas of, uh, of controversy. Uh, tell us what the author is getting at in these chapters. Wow, well, when we look at Hebrews 11, the author, 
who's been talking to us about maintaining our faith in Christ despite whatever comes, he, he starts holding up all the great Old Testament heroes of faith who were justified because they acted on their faith. How it wasn't enough for Moses just to hear that there was a flood coming and receive a command to build the ark. He really had to build that ark if he was going to be saved. He had to cooperate with the revelation. And we hear about Abraham and David, all these people who received God's revelation, cooperated with his grace, but they did not yet receive the great inheritance that they were looking for. They were looking for a land, for a kingdom that they could call home. And the author points out, they didn't receive it in this world. They only got hints of it. Right. And, and the salvation, the fullness of that, they had to wait for us, that when Christ comes and he opens up heaven, even to those who've died and who've been awaiting it in, in the abode of the dead, Sheol, uh, the Lord has opened it to them, and he opens it to us simultaneously. In Hebrews chapter 12, the author's telling his readers, in the Old Covenant, they were called to Mount Sinai. But you, he says, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, yes. the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So when we draw near to the Father's throne in prayer, which Hebrews several times says we now have access to like never before, when we draw near to God's throne, we simultaneously draw near to all our brothers and sisters that now surround that throne. So you can't draw near to the Father without simultaneously drawing near to his children, the communion of saints, Hmm. that all those heroes the author of Hebrews has been pointing out to his listeners, they really are our brothers and sisters. And this coincides perfectly with what we find in the book of Revelation, when John is shown the Father's throne, the land before it, and the 24 elders dressed in priestly garb. Mm -hmm. So in Hebrews, when it says, the spirits of just men made perfect, it's that same word, teleo, where it talked about Christ being made perfect perfect, being ordained a priest through his suffering, the spirits of the just before the Father's throne are sharing in Christ's priesthood. We see it here, we see it in the book of Revelation, and part of that priesthood is offering our prayers and intercession before the Father, never in competition with Christ's intercession, but as a participation in that the head, Jesus, is making intercession for us through other members of his body, and that the Father the Father wants it this way. He's the one that set it up like this. When you and I ask the saints to intercede, we're just affirming what God the Father has already put in place. We're, we're entering into it. We have just about 45 seconds left. Let's close with the Toda of the Risen One, this Thanksgiving, which of course is the Eucharist, Hebrews 13. Yes, um, well, in Hebrews 13, we read how he, he tells his, his readers again, we have an altar from which those who minister in the temple have no right to eat. And he goes on to say that through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. 
Again, this sacrifice of praise, that's used in the Septuagint to refer to the toad on Jesus' Thanksgiving, his Eucharist. And that's what we share in the New Covenant. Shane, great job. Thank you. Uh, We'll talk again. God bless you, Al. Thank you. Shane Kapler, the book, delightful book, and very rich. The Epistle to the Hebrews and the Seven Core Beliefs of Catholics. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I want to give some congratulations here to Gordon Smith and his team at Catholic Radio Indy. Uh, really, from all your friends at EWTN, Gordon, uh, wonderful to mention your name. I know you guys are going to be uh, have a lot of work on your hands as uh, the Eucharistic Revival uh, Congress meets there this summer. But uh, I, I should mention that Catholic Radio Indy is a real veteran, celebrating 20 years with us this week. They serve Indianapolis, but also central Indiana. They have five FM stations. And so, again, uh, congratulations to Gordon Smith, who's been with us a long time, and his entire team there at Catholic Radio Indy. Thanks for all the work you've done over the years. And I always like to stress, support your local Catholic Radio affiliate. Without those affiliates, there's no programming, right? You can make all the programming you want, but if there's no affiliates, you can't hear the programming. So, support your local Catholic radio affiliate. Uh, Let me urge you to follow up on my conversations today. Uh, We'll have follow-up information and conversation I had with Jimmy Mitchell about letting beauty speak. And then uh, this fascinating message is a Lenten message from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran theologian who's best known as a martyr, um, killed under direct orders of Hitler just days before the conclusion of the war. Uh, we'll have follow-up information uh, at AveMariaRadio.net in the Cresta guest archives there. And uh, coming up, uh, you know, uh, you, what you want to do is keep in mind that Teresa Tamio has this upcoming pilgrimage uh, in October. We'll have details for you. Uh, Living La Dolce Fide, uh, that's coming up October 26th, but you want to register early. And then more on the letter to the Hebrews, AveMariaRadio.net. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.